Welcome to the Gut Feelings Podcast, where we have unfiltered conversations about real life with IBD. And we unpack IBD nutrition and make it less stressful. You said we are someone's to-do list. Tell me more. (laughs) Hello, everybody. We are Ashley and Rebecca. We are your to-do list, a.k.a. your to-do list. No. (laughs) What does this mean? No. What does this mean? So Ashley and I, we were talking about how being a dietitian, it gives other people a chance to really feel supported and put so many of their things that they have on their to-do list, put it in someone else's lap, you know, so that they have that extra support. And we were just saying how, you know, our patients that we've worked with, just whether it be currently or in the past and some things that I've also noticed too is after speaking to my patient just a couple weeks after our first session, they're already feeling better. And a large part of that is because they're seeing a dietitian. What do you think, Ashley? So we were talking about one, is there a difference between our approach and the Mediterranean diet? And then we were also talking about what is the role of the dietitian in all of this and how much of a difference does it make to have somebody in your corner in the most stressful part of your life, which is diet nutrition for IBD. And and I really think it's not like one or the other, right? It's like both are necessary to see results sometimes. Sometimes you need more clarity rather than if we were to just say like, here's our approach, go for it. There's so many questions that pop up with each each thing, right? And there's knowing how to implement it. There's knowing how to work through all of the components of things or integrating it into your life. And so I really think that the dietitian is such an important part of the equation with any sort of dietary approach. Yeah, big time. I wanted to talk about the Mediterranean diet and like the pyramid. Yes. Okay. So we did a little bit of a deep dive on this recently because we were trying in the process of figuring out and doing research, we were looking at data on what the Mediterranean diet is and what differentiates our approach from it. And what's interesting about diets is that in, in this came up by the way, because there was a research study looking at the Mediterranean diet compared to SCD and it found the Mediterranean diet was um, essentially the same or better, right? And what's interesting about it is that the Mediterranean diet, your interpretation of what that is can vary even from study to study. So it's the interpretation that you read online, but also how it's defined in the research paper. So yeah, what what are your thoughts on when you did a little bit of research on Mediterranean diet and what all it includes? So what I find the most interesting in relation to IBD is how beneficial plants are, right? It's like plants are the main act, right? Like they... They provide us with so many, with with just a lot of nutrients and the quality of these foods are so dense and they have like these powerful properties that can really help, you know, our, our gut to heal itself and to lower inflammation. And it's incredible what plants can do and their antioxidant properties and so forth. So I find it interesting how there are diets that are shown to be beneficial for IBD. I also feel that there's a lot of manipulation with it. Like, you know, why can't we just kind of say, look, it's the plants that are really helping you, you know, like that's really what it's about. It's the plants, whole grains, nuts and seeds, fruits, like that's predominantly a plant-based diet. Now, The thing with the Mediterranean diet, and the Mediterranean diet is great because it includes, the majority of it includes plants. That's like the bulk of the diet. But kind of what we talked about is that sometimes the Mediterranean diet can be flipped, right? So 
while it says to eat less often, red meat, saturated fats, sweets, it doesn't say to, you know, restrict your intake, which we, we never really talk about restriction, but I just find it interesting that we use the term eat less often. So what does that even mean, eat less often? Is that once a week? Is that once a month? Is it once a year? Not really sure what that means. And that can be confusing to people. Also, eat moderate portions daily or weekly of poultry. So this is weekly, dairy, cheese, and eggs, red wine. So we know that this can also be switched. So someone that says, yeah, I follow a Mediterranean diet. This person can eat red meat maybe once every two weeks. They have red wine every night. They have poultry three times a week, but they make sure to include lots of vegetables and fruits. And, you know, they also eat dairy every day and they also use olive oil as their dressing, let's just say. So the issue that I have with this is that the terminology can be very confusing to people. And when there's no definitive guideline of, okay, this is really what you should be having, people can kind of take it out of context and they may say, okay, why if a Mediterranean diet is beneficial for my ulcerative colitis and I've been following this Mediterranean diet, I don't understand why I'm so symptomatic. So I just think the terminology can get really lost in, in translation, essentially. Yeah, which I think that's completely where a dietitian fits because it's we can understand the why of things, the why we might not want to have wine every single day, <laughs> right. which by the way, like with Mediterranean um, diet, which I'm, I'm pro Mediterranean diet. I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm not cause I, I am, we do recommend it sometimes, but there aren't some interpretation, some Mediterranean charts that will say you can have wine, you know, up to every time, every other day or something like that, like several times a week. Versus, and there are some that will say, you know, on social, in social settings. So whatever that means <laughs> in social settings, like oh, special occasions, like a wedding, or does that mean every week with your friends or work, <laughs> you know, so is that okay? Yeah. And I think what's missing with that is I think flexibility is important for sure. Absolutely. But I think we also, people also need to know why. We need to know why, well, why don't we want to have wine every day? We need to know what's going on in our gut where that might not be a good idea. Or, you know, even with like the fish differences in Mediterranean versus what we might recommend for ulcerative colitis, like Mediterranean includes omega-3 rich fish, it also includes shellfish and shrimp, which don't have much omega-3s. Um, so the, even the basis of that could differ from one diet to the next. And, you know, with, with ulcerative colitis, we know that omega-3s can be really important, right? But, but if the diet is more shellfish-based, probably not as beneficial. Right. <laughs> so I think, I, I agree with you. I think there are one, sometimes the definitions can be tricky for people. And two, uh, we need to know why. We need to know, people need to know why they would make a change. Like, what's the reason behind that, you know? Right. And also, like, if the main, if the focal point here is plants, then why, why aren't we emphasizing that a lot more? Right. Like the, like the why behind it. I know as somebody with IBD, I would want to know, okay, why do I want plants? Why is this important for me? Why do I want legumes? Why do I want to eat whole grains? Um, you're saying that I can have dairy. So that means in every meal, I can throw some cheese and on a sandwich in my salad. Like I can just ha keep having that. Um, I can eat eggs every morning for breakfast if I want to, because that's Mediterranean. Um, Maybe I'll have eggs for dinner. But when we see the research, we know that certain foods can increase the production of hydrogen sulfide. And we know that hydrogen sulfide can be pro-inflammatory in ulcerative colitis. So this is where it gets really hazy for me. 
Yeah. And it's like, it's all about the context too, right? It's like, okay. It, it's like, it's not like, um, like having that food one time is going to be the end all be all, right. but it's about the context of the whole diet. You know, it's like, well, if you pair that with, if you did an egg three times a week and paired it with, you know, lots of leafy greens and, you know, if you change that context, it changes the impact. Or added beans to it, even. Yeah, I mean, I still think that collectively as a society, it, it gets really confusing. It's kind of complex with our food because it's, there's no clear cut answer and they're re- it's it's not about restricting, but I do believe in limitations. I do believe in limiting right. certain foods that can be harmful to our to our IBD. Um, right. So, do I think eating red meat once a week? Do I would I recommend that? No. As a practitioner, I would not recommend that. Would I recommend? my ulcerative colitis patient to have eggs every morning for breakfast? No, I would not do that. I would say, what can we do to maybe have it a couple times a week? And then maybe, you know, the other times we do a tofu scramble, you know, or when you do an egg scramble, are you putting vegetables in it? What are we getting more of so that we can have more butyrate in the diet, which is more anti-inflammatory? So, there was definitely a lot of, I feel like there's definitely a lot of negotiating with our people. I was about to say that. I was oh, about really? to say, you know what, Rebecca, I was like, Rebecca, we are, we've become really good negotiators in our job. Yeah. Like, for sure. Yeah. Because we help bridge that gap. We help. So there's some people that will come to us like all in, like, totally. I'll take any suggestion. Yeah. And I will say that's probably a large majority of people. Oh, well, maybe like a good 60, 70%, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know what you would say. Well, that I would are, definitely say that. A large, a large portion of our patients are like, I am willing to do whatever I can do to help myself out. And it's like, all right, right, let's do this, you know, but let's just make sure that we're also maintaining a healthy relationship with food because that is crucial. Yeah. And I think pain, pain and frustration is a big motivator. And IBD patients have a lot of that. I definitely know that. Let me just tell you this too, Ashley, because for people that don't have IBD, they don't understand like the lengths that we go to in order to feel well. So yeah, could this sound extreme as a dietitian? Oh my God, I can't believe she's recommending this. Or, you know, like that's really an all or nothing approach. And number one, it's not an all or nothing approach because as a dietitian, it's also our responsibility to make sure that our patients maintain a healthy relationship with food and we are not promoting restriction, but more of a healthy balance to what that may look like. And we're also actively listening to our patients and what they're experiencing and going through and matching that up with nutrition to see what we can do therapeutically to help them. And that's a really, it's a, having, having ulcerative colitis and being a dietitian has completely changed my perspective on a lot of things. And it's not like, it's not just me. It's, it's the deep research that I've done. It's all the stuff that I'm learning about, like, with these articles and from physicians and what people are saying and also from the community, how they're feeling when they make these adjustments. I mean, I, before I shared with everyone that I had UC, which was maybe like six months after my diagnosis, every day I would spend, and this is before I started working with you guys, but every day I would research like diet and, and, nutrition and UC and Crohn's and what is the research telling us and what's going on and why aren't we advocating for this? And, you know, why is it that I go on certain websites and it's like two grams of fiber per day when you're in remission, but you're still symptomatic. It's like, 
what? Like this low residue, low fiber diets that people are still being recommended to, to have. I mean, no, like that's just not okay. Mm -hmm. And I think there's, you know, within me, there's a lot more passion because I have it, you know, and I, as a dietitian, I follow the research and I listen to what my patient is telling me. But then as a patient, I practice what I preach myself. You know, I'm not going to say yeah. eat a lot of plants and, you know, me personally, I would, you know, it would be a total like lie if I were to say, yeah, eat a bunch of plants, but then, you know, I'm home eating like two vegetables a day. <laughs> not really like practicing what I'm preaching or what the research is saying. I mean, it's not. I definitely have days like that. I'm going to be honest. Had days with, <laughs> oh, just like sometimes I'll do. Sometimes I will have days where I'm like, I'll just struggle to get anything in. Like, yeah, like I'll not that I don't eat plants, but more like, like I'll go through days without hunger cues where stress will take over. And I, you know, it's just like limited, but I don't like how it feels. <laughs> I'll tell you that. And I'm glad you said that though, Ashley, because, you know, yeah, sometimes we have what's called the case of the ethics where you're just like, I feel like crap today and I just want to like do whatever I want to do and not even think about the it. The case of the what? The ethics. So it's a curse word. It's the F word. Oh, that. <laughs> oh, I'm familiar with that. <laughs> yeah. And I'm glad you said that because I know a lot of people can relate to that. Um, personally, I'm kind of like a little bit of the opposite where I can actually tell, like my body can tell when I didn't eat any like fruit or I didn't have any fiber or vegetables in my diet. I get very, oh, I can tell. Yeah. Like I get, anxious. Yeah. I get really anxious. I don't know that I get anxious, but I, I start, I start feeling it. Like I'll just like, like I'll, my body will just feel kind of achy, like, um, you know, if I've gone a stretch without having enough and there's not a lot of diversity in the diet, I'll start to feel a little more achy, a little more, not as, not as up to par. Mm -hmm. I, I definitely don't like it. I like having more fresh stuff in the diet and you just, I just feel better overall. Yeah. Yeah. Like sometimes when we're traveling too, like, you know, we're eating out at restaurants. If I don't get my veggies in. I'll start craving carrots. Like that's something that'll happen. Or I'm like, I need mm. to eat some arugula, some carrots. Like I, I, I need cucumbers, hummus. Like that. that's my craving. Mm. Mm -hmm. I crave kale a lot. Like, like that rich, earthy, wow. like kale. Yeah. Just like. Do you tolerate kale? More okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. I tolerate pretty much everything like veggie wise. Awesome. Um, that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the complete opposite. There's so many. Except coffee. <laughs> Coffee's like, I cannot do coffee very well for some reason. It just, and that's just more of like, it makes me feel more panicky inside. Like I don't do well with the caffeine in coffee. Like I'm clearly okay with the caffeine in matcha, but you know, not, not coffee for some reason. Yeah. Matcha is one for me like <laughs> I've heard <laughs> some, days, some days I'm all about it and then other days it's like a sour stomach and I'll just keep going to the bathroom like just keep going just keep yeah going. yeah yeah but you know nutrition is something very sacred very individualized and I feel like we have our own experiences with it and what I'm telling you all today is just my own personal experience and I know that my body will get feisty if I don't have, if I don't feed it with the, with the right nutrients. I can totally yeah. tell. Um, and, you know, the Mediterranean diet, I don't know. I feel like it's really confusing. It is. It's confusing. I, and maybe I'm just somebody who likes to see more straightforward numbers. This is what is recommended because this is what we found based on the research, but to use the term like moderate, like wh what does that mean in portion, <laughs> portion size? Like you're saying moderate consume cheese and eggs in moderation. Okay. How many eggs and how much cheese? Like 
so I can have four eggs every day and do an, <laughs> a scramble, an omelet, like what a, you know, soft boiled, do three soft boiled eggs. I mean, you know, it's just, it gets very confusing. And I, that to me is kind of a pet peeve when I feel like I look at guidelines and they're still confusing, but they're guidelines. Mm -hmm. But then it can go the opposite way too. You can write something down and it feels so rigid and like, ah, I don't know. So do you think, do you think our guide, like, do you think our guidelines are straightforward or do you think they can be confusing too? Um, I think like what we practice. Yeah. I think yeah. that it's pretty straightforward because it's more of like the way that I see it. So like, for instance, emulsifier, soy lecithin, which is found in a lot of, a lot of stuff. Um, what I'll say is, you know, when possible, you know, try to go for products that don't contain soy lecithin, the emulsifier. And here are some examples. I'll provide examples that don't have it or alternatives. But let's say you stumble upon some really awesome peanut pretzels and there's soy lecithin in there and you're eating them. You're like, oh, my God, there's soy lecithin in there. Yeah. My interpretation of that is it's OK. You don't need to be hard on yourself because this is something that you're consuming in limited amounts. It's not an item that you frequently have at home. It's not like it's not like your everyday grocery item. And that's kind of how I look at it. You know, like in some of these foods, if it's not an everyday grocery item, that's okay. Um, so I think that from that perspective, it's straightforward. If I were to read our guidelines on the web, I would think it'd be confusing. And so that's why having a dietitian in your corner is really important to kind of break it down and to help you understand that it's not an all or nothing approach. And you also have to work with the with the person of how they think. So, Ashley, if you were my dietitian, you know that the way that I would be is more of like, okay, just tell me what to do and what not to do. And then you might say, okay, it's not that easy because it's not it's not just all or nothing. Um, but everyone has their own personality, and things work differently with with everyone, you know. And it could also be on our yeah. depending on our moods. Like maybe today I'm all or nothing, but tomorrow I need a little leeway. <laughs> So it's never consistent. Yeah, I agree. And I also think that people sometimes want, some people want a lot of information and other times people just want the minimum. What are you like? What would you want? Like, what if I was your dietitian? I mean, yeah, if I was your dietitian. I would have a lot of why questions. Ooh. I mean, that's, that's just the nature. I I will be more of a skeptic until I understand the why. Always. I need to know all the ins and outs. So like, well, why? Well, how does that work? Well, wh what's going on in my body that would make that a good or a bad thing for me? Like, and I think, I think you can quarter, sort of see that when I, when I write things on a blog or in a library, I love understanding why I love understanding how does it work? Show me in a picture, you know, and I love, love having pictures. So if I recommended something to you and I were to say, okay, this is what you want to do to improve your outcomes and it's going to take Okay. Time. Give me an example. Okay. So Ashley, I am recommending you to swap out your egg scramble a couple times a week instead of having it every day, <laughs> just for two times a week. I want you to try a tofu scramble. How would you feel about I mean, that recommendation? I don't like eggs, but oh, <laughs> but um, let's say love, that I did. Yeah, let's say you love eggs. You're like, Rebecca, I love eggs. This is so hard for me. Yeah. So, okay. So my position is that, okay, so it's going to be hard for me to take out the eggs. Mm -hmm. Like it's really hard because you're so used to having it every single day. So, well, my first question would be why? Wait, why do I need, what's, why? You know, that would be my first question. Okay, and let's say I and, break it down for you with hydrogen sulfide and animal protein and ulcerative colitis and the mucin and, and the gut and for microbiota health. So we have that conversation. 
then I'd probably say I need a picture and I need research. <laughs> and then I'd say, okay, what do you need okay, you run me over. What do you need a picture of? I need a picture of like what's going on in my gut. What is the hydrogen sulfide? What does that look like broken down? Like I would need like the whole visual breakdown. Okay. Which would be a big ask, to be honest. That would be great. I think we would actually work well together because I would think to myself, wow, like she is definitely intrigued by this and she really wants to understand the mechanism behind it. So I, and I would go and I, I would find an article and find an image for you. And if I can't find an image for you, I will make an image for you so that you can visually understand what's happening in that process. That's awesome. Yeah. You're, you're my dream dietitian. Then. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Um, I, you know, there was one time this was like, I don't know, 14 years. I don't, I keep forgetting how old I am, but I think this was like, this was like 12 years ago. I was at this job I was working for and I was explaining to this guy about cholesterol and I was like kind of fresh out of college, you know, and you know, when you're fresh out of college, you like remember the Krebs cycle and you remember like, you know, the free fatty acids, like just how they look and phospholipids, like just biochemistry stuff, like how stuff kind of looks. You mean when you're fresh out of college? <laughs> when I'm fresh out of college, but I still remember all this craziness, all the, the diagrams. I, I'm definitely a visual learner, so I, I, I remember that. And I was explaining to my patient what triglycerides mean, you know, like just visually explaining it to him. And so this is what this conversation reminded me of, because I would go to extreme lengths for my patient to really understand what is going on in their body. It's important. It's important for us to know, especially for those that really want to know. Yeah. Yeah. So if, so if I showed that to you and I think, you know, maybe some of our listeners might relate to you like, Hey, I would definitely want to see that too. If I showed you that, would you feel more comfortable? Would you... Would you still question what's going on? You'd still want to know more? I guess it depends. Yeah. If, if it made sense to me in my head, I'd be like, okay, okay, I can do that. We have a breakthrough. Yeah. So, yeah, it would, it would make sense. Yeah, I would try it out. I mean, once I make the connections, I'm all in. I say that, but I have worked with people in the past where it did take me a while. Like it took me a while to get there because I didn't understand the degree of importance. So there's like understanding the concept and then there's understanding the potential impact and degree and the time that it takes to see the impact. Those are the things that I feel like were missing for me in the beginning that over time I saw and experienced in myself and in the people that I worked with. And so that helped me to understand oh, okay, there is a potential for a big impact. It does take a lot of time. It can take a lot of time, but it's worth it, you know? So some of those things, like you can understand the concepts, but you only implement it into the degree that you understand the impact. Can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah, so if you don't understand what's possible for you, like if you don't understand the impact of making a change, then you're only going to implement it a small amount, not like to the full capacity, right? Because you don't really see the value of it in the same way. How do you get to that point? That's a good question. Because I think for some people, it's trying it out and watching, waiting and watching and, and having someone to remind you that these things take time. Um, for me, it was a combination of that plus going back to the people I was working with and asking more questions, like asking questions about, well, why, well, what's the research on it? And like having those touch points where you're going back and asking questions for the why and, and then pairing that with myself, taking that and information and seeing it on a larger scale with the patients that I worked with. And so those two combines like really solidified my understanding of the value part over the years. I mean, this is over a long time. I've had, I've had UC for a long time and have been through all the ups and downs that we all go through. 
But what's been unique about my experience is getting to learn about it, experience it, and then also watch it for the last eight years with hundreds, thousands of different cases. And so that kind of viewpoint or vantage point really helps solidify your understanding of something and understanding like the value and the impact that's possible. And I think that's a very special place to be. Not everybody gets to be in the place where they get to see so much. So that, that's why I really value research, you know, research for that reason. Cause it's like, you really do, like we really do in our practice, I think have a really good understanding of what we would want to research in like a clinical setting because we see so much, we see so much on a larger scale. So yeah, that's, yeah. that's a good point. Yeah. So I think what's important for people is understanding what's possible is an important component of making any sort of change. You have to understand like where you're going and you have to have some, you know, buy-in to that too. Like, because you have to, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but having that buy-in and trust with someone to kind of help guide you is, is pretty important. Yeah. I think the, um, I think the trust is huge, huge. For me, I, I think I need the trust to listen to somebody's guidance. And that yeah. that takes time for sure. Yeah, I wanna I wanna ask you more about so you mentioned earlier in your experience as a patient trying to research a bunch of things mm-hmm. and trying to like really getting a feel for where you needed to advocate for yourself. Like what's an example of something that you've you can say you really learned? Yeah. So when I was diagnosed before, well, properly diagnosed, I should say, I was consuming a diet that was very high in animal protein. So I wasn't eating red meat, but, you know, maybe two out of the three meals I'd eat had chicken in it. I would have eggs almost every day. There was a time where I was trying to experiment with like dieting. So I upped my egg intake even more and I noticed when I did that, my symptoms got worse. And that's when I learned like, okay, what's, what's kind of going on here. And then when I was diagnosed, still consuming the same foods that I was consuming before my diagnosis. And, you know, I, I always kept a journal with me. I still have it with me. And it's like all the cramping that would happen whenever I would eat eggs every single time, certain vegetables, all these different things. So that's where the whole research came into play. You know, what's going on? Why am I so sensitive to a lot of these foods? What's happening? And so once I really got into it, I mean, this was like my full-time job, basically. What I learned was just the power of plants and how they they really help heal um, IBD. And their just mechanism with the with having their anti-inflammatory properties like just how beneficial they are overall um and so slowly i started to implement more plant-based foods into my diet and i started to take out a lot of the animal sources i was having so i stopped having the eggs i stopped eating chicken i mean i haven't had chicken or eggs in probably over a year and a half now and I've never felt better, you know, and I I know that when I first started taking these foods out, it was hard for me. I remember there was a time where I felt like, gosh, I'm not being, I'm not satiated. I'm not, I don't feel really nourished, like what's going on. So I had to figure out, okay, you know, how can I get my protein needs and how can I spread them out throughout the day and what foods can I pair it up with so that I do feel satiated And that was something that I really experienced. And I went through and experimented with myself and I started to feel just so much better. And that's when I realized, holy crap, like I am, I'm like doing research on myself basically. And I'm following what the research is telling me to do. And this is really cool. Like I, I feel like I can relate to this, this research because it's helping me. And after following a plant-based diet for 
a year and taking my medications as I'm supposed to and doing all the things I need to do, I'm no longer anemic. I am in histological remission and a lot of my symptoms have significantly improved for sure. They're not, they're not gone entirely, but a lot of, a lot of them have really improved. Yeah. So you really got to understand in real life, like the, the power of combining meds with a good nutrition approach. Absolutely. And this is just my story, right? Like this doesn't mean that everyone else, like it's not the same for everyone else. We know that everyone, Mm -hmm. everyone's IBD is so different. Everyone has their own kind of phenotype and characteristic of their IBD. Um, But what I do know is that plants are extremely healing and it took me a really long time to get into a better place. I mean, you know, this is a little over a year, right. Of, of doing this. So it took time. It took patience. You know, I've gone back and forth with going in and out of symptoms, bleeding mucus, you know, back and forth, back and forth. And I think also a part of it too, is, is the connection that I have with my family and being closer to home. I think that's a huge that plays a huge role. You know, we know that the pandemic created a lot of um, loneliness and isolation, and that can be very stressful for us too. So even though it sounds like I'm really emphasizing the nutrition portion, which definitely played a heavy role, I also, I need to emphasize the other areas too. And that's therapy, that's family support system and familiarity which improved the loneliness and isolation that I had when COVID hit. Familiarity. Do you mean, what does that mean to you? Does that mean like feeling stable and connected and grounded? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Big one is feeling grounded. Yeah. That that's a really big thing. Cause I, I always feel like I need to, I always want to feel rooted. And when I don't, I just feel very chaotic, disorganized, anxious all over the place. And that can definitely exacerbate my symptoms. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And what, and what we know about IBD too is even if we are in a good place, you know, sometimes it does not last very long. And so, you know, IBD is very unpredictable. And I'm grateful that I have the support system that I have. And, you know, for a long time, I was a six hour flight away from my GI. And now I'm a 40 minute drive from my GI. And that consciously that that makes a huge difference for me, because I, for me, that's like a comfortable feeling like, oh, I can now just go to my doctor anytime I need to or, you know, maybe not anytime I need to, I have to make an appointment, of course, but I don't have to stop everything, you know, what I'm doing, because I'm a six hour flight away. I'm, you know, other side of the country from him. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and that, that's very helpful to know. Yeah, for sure. I had a question for you and I lost it. (laughs) (laughs) Just, I got lost in thinking about a doctor. What do you think? (laughs) What do you think helped your UC? (laughs) Because you're in such a better, you're in much of a better place now. It took me a lot longer than a year. Mm -hmm. Um, I had, you know, my disease was not stable for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. I didn't have access to meds up front and that that made a difference too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for me, it was having meds, being able to get access to meds. It was definitely nutrition, definitely having a good nutrition plan in place. And then I, th- I think too, like the, that groundedness that comes from having your basic needs met, <laughs> like connection, stability, sleep, not overdoing it. Those things are really important sleep. for sure. And yes. in those last two, yeah, I, I do still struggle with, and if there was something to tip off my UC, it would be it would be the sleep and overdoing it part. That's something that I still like teeter on the edge of like, totally. It's hard. It's hard to break the stress cycle to break the overdoing it cycle is what I would say. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that drive that. And yeah. So I would say that that piece I'm still working on and, and or struggling with. <laughs> yeah. I still struggle with that piece for sure. Cause I like, 
it's hard when you okay when you're in a when you're in places where you don't want to be like when people hate their job you know it's easy to just be like okay i'm done and i'm on full vacation mode well, i don't want to say easy it's not always easy for people but but when you're doing things that you like like really like and you're really involved in and really invested i do find it's much harder for me to just be like be done and be content with being done mm -hmm. and not overdoing it mm -hmm. and overdoing it figuring out what what is overdoing it because that's different for everybody i was gonna say what does it mean to overdo something i don't know see i don't know rebecca because that always it's a question because like you can look at something in one context for one person you can think that's crazy. There's no way I could do that. You know, like mm -hmm. a 40 hour a week job or 50, like, are you kidding me? You know, but, but for another person that is totally doable. It's like all how we view it, how we view it, what excites us, you know, it's complicated what is your to figure out. Yeah. I have no idea. I, I just know I'm surpassing it all the time. <laughs> You're, pressing, you're pushing his button. Like, oh, yeah, there it goes. Oh, yeah, look, it's out the window. Okay, bye. I don't have a threshold because, yeah. yeah. Rebecca, I see a threshold and I think I need to go right past it. I need to go to the brink of it and then a little bit further. Oh, no, no, no. So that's how I that's how I think. So it's. Yeah, we are the we're so opposite. Like, you know, like, I and I, I think I shared this with you, too. But, you know, I was invited to go to a bachelorette party and different state than where I am right now. It's going to basically involve a group of girls drinking, having fun, doing bachelorette things, all, all the things that are a part of that. And for someone like me who has UC, I'm like that person who's in bed at like a quarter to 10 with my enema sitting in me and just like hoping that I don't wake up at three in the morning or else I'm going to feel exhausted the next day. So if this is how I live my life at the end of the day, how am I going to survive a bachelorette party where there's drinking involved and a bunch of food that I will probably, will probably make me go to the bathroom multiple times in a day. I just don't feel comfortable with it. And so I, I know that, okay, that is like way beyond my threshold to go on a plane, which already causes some symptoms for me, to drink, which I do not drink anymore. You know, all these things, being in this social environment, I, I mean, I'm not, I used to be very extroverted and now I'm like the complete opposite. Um, you know, it's just like all these things that have changed since a UC diagnosis. So it's so important to try to just understand yourself a little bit better every day and what you can, what you can handle, right? So you feel like you know your threshold then? I do know my threshold. Yes. I'm pretty sure because I stay in touch with like that feeling of like, oh, this does not make me feel good. I'm yeah. very hyper aware of that. And that can be with people. That can be with places. It could be with um, situations like hmm. makes me feel a certain way. I will not be there. But that's yeah. new. That's new since this UC diagnosis because I feel like I treat my UC like it's a baby. Like I am constantly trying to take yeah. care of it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's interesting because I, I think I know what you're talking about because I, I will feel that way sometimes even when I'm enjoying a situation. Like I might be enjoying a person or place or an event, but my self is kind of like, Ah, I'm on edge. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta get out of this. So, like, why does that happen? I mean, we need a therapist on here to talk about it. That's but rough. I know for me, like, if I were thinking back to like my therapy sessions, mm -hmm. it might be a number of things. Like, it might be activating some sort of attachment style. Like, that can happen with people for sure, where some people might trigger something in you like activate if you're curious about looking this up like avoidant or anxious or anxious avoidant attachment style in some people like so, so sometimes people might have 
what's the word? I'm not going to explain this well. I can already feel it. (laughs) (laughs) Just look it it up. (laughs) Feel it. I was actually listening to something like that yesterday. The the ways like the attachment theories, like yeah, it's ancient, powerful. Yeah, powerful stuff. Yeah, I've noticed sometimes certain people in a and it's something in me. It's not necessarily the other person, but yeah, something in me. I'll be like okay, why do I feel on edge all of a sudden? And it's not like the person has done anything wrong. It's, they're great. And it's something that I'll have to go and work on in myself on my own and kind of figure out, okay, like like someone might make me feel like I'm, like I'll just start continuing to talk or feel like a little more anxious inside And so then I'll reflect a little bit and be like, okay, what was happening there for me? Like, why did I feel so on edge or so triggered in a sense, you know? And so I think the reflection piece is important. What happens when you ask yourself that? Like, do you feel like you get an answer? Yeah, I do. Uh, I I do. And I, I think I mentioned in previous podcasts how I think that happened at my birthday party where I felt... I, I don't know why I wanted to plan a birthday party. This is not like, I don't like being in big groups necessarily. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yet I thought I wanted to like that. So I planned the birthday party. And it had been so long since I had interacted with people because it was like first party post COVID. Mm-hmm. And it was just a lot all at once for one. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot all at once. It was a lot of different interaction points. And I felt like I had to be on all the time. And so I didn't really like that part. What does it mean so, to feel on? Like for me, it felt like I had to socially, like for me being on means social, social interaction, constant social interaction. Um, that That is difficult for me. And I think that's why conferences can be a little bit hard or like big groups or going out to dinner with friends, like, you know, big group of friends. <clears throat> like that sort of thing can feel like a lot sometimes for me. But I want to be the person that has a larger social capacity and can interact for long periods of time. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, is I'm not, I'm not really all that capable of but it. But you're doing it right so, now. In what way? In the podcast? Yeah. Yes, but it feels like it's just talking to you. It does not feel like I'm talking to thousands of people, yet I am. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. You're making me nervous, Rebecca. Oh, no. <laughs> you know what, though? I will say, like, I don't know if you feel this way, but after most of our podcasts, I'm like, oh, my God. Like, not all of them, but some of them, like, what am I doing? What did I just share? Why did I just talk about my rectum on my podcast? And I will almost quit sometimes. Like, Rebecca and I have both had moments where – Mostly me, where I'm like, Rebecca, was that, what, did I say something weird? Like, should we just not air that one? You see, you can't, but, you can't, you can't erase it. You know, you can't just delete things. I mean, you can, yeah. I mean, yes, you, you could, you, you can. can do that. You can delete it. You can edit things out. Absolutely. But I think the fun part about having a podcast is not editing it out and talking about the hard things that a lot of us maybe think, but we don't talk about it. So I think that, and there's, there's a lot of that going on in our society and in so many different areas, but we're, we're specifically talking about IBD and we know that, you know, there's a lot of things that we avoid talking about because it feels uncomfortable because we feel scared. Maybe we might feel embarrassed. You know, we feel like it takes more energy to talk about it than to just like be silent and not not waste it that does. energy. It's not it's not easy to talk about these things. And I I will say one thing that does keep me here in talking about it is that we've gotten so every time I get to this brink someone will reach out to us and tell me something really kind about our podcast. Like, in fact, we had someone last week and this was another one of my like moments where I was like, ah, like I, 
it sometimes has nothing to do with what we say. Sometimes it's just like that feeling of putting yourself out there on a regular basis, whether that's social media or podcast, or it's a little overwhelming for me to be visible when majority of my life, I kind of tried to be not visible, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> it wasn't like my, I just didn't want to, what's the word? Just kind of more introverted in general. But anyways, what she said was that she said, thank you for, for all that you guys do on the podcast. It gave me words to articulate what I was feeling. And I feel like I found my people. And it just like, it made me feel so seen. Yeah, it feels so good. Yeah, it really does. And that's why that's why I'm still here. So those comments. Yeah, I mean, that's, they're very moving. And they definitely they inspire me to like, want to be better and continue doing what we're doing. And, you know, hoping that what we talk about will resonate with you and it'll make you feel seen and heard and just remember that you guys are not alone ever there's a whole community of us out here for sure yeah um we didn't mention ddw in this episode (laughs) so let's talk about ddw (laughs) okay i thought you were gonna lead off with with your people what do you have to say about they know what ddw (laughs) means it's Digestive Disease Week, people, <laughs> if you haven't figured it out. So DDW is Digestive Disease Week, and we're going this weekend. Oh, my God. Today is Tuesday, and we will be there this weekend. I'm so excited. There's actually going to be a couple programs that are going on that are you know focused on IBD, which I'm so excited about and can't wait to share some of those notes with you all because you know I'll be there with my computer and pen and paper trying to write down everything that they're saying right um but yeah it'll be great good info we are not sponsored by yeah we are not sponsored by them believe it or not I know it seems like we are And uh, we also do not get continuing education hours that we need for our recertification license. So we are doing this because we are passionate about IBD. We want to continuously learn about the disease and what we can do to understand it a bit better. And that's also understanding the medical side of it because I I am so thankful for medication. I'm just going to say that too. And I'm sorry if I didn't make it sound that way because I was talking so much about nutrition and lifestyle stuff but medication it helps take your meds <laughs> I, I think I think people get it that that you appreciate both yeah but we've talked about both of those so many times <laughs> that's true <laughs> all right bye everybody bye guys bye